What's up, lifers? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Lotion is for Everybody. We are so glad that you guys keep tuning in to us week in and week out. We try to provide some great content for you guys. The last two weeks have been a little volatile. We've been doing the man versus the, the women and women versus the man. But this week we have a very, very special episode uh, that we've been wanting to dig deep into for the last few weeks, given uh, uh, the current climate of our country. But this week, we really are going to dive into it. We got some special guests. But first, I want to introduce or reintroduce my very special co-host, T and Vic. What's good, family? Good evening. On, Hello. How you guys been holding up? Um, this week went by really quick. I can't believe it's Thursday already. It's like Thursday already. The week, flying man. by. Just trying to keep up, but you the know, week is good. going by faster, and you still can't do nothing but stay in the house. How you feel? Like <laughs> <laughs> I well, I've actually been out. That's a we. I started going See, back to that, the office last week. Black people oh, problems really? right there. Damn. Yeah, I've been in the office a few times. Um, you know, things are moving a little bit. I'm excited. I got a hair appointment going on next week. Oh, snap. <laughs> about, to get that, about to get that bumping curl. <laughs> that bumping curl. Slowly getting back to normal. <laughs> all right. All right, Vic, you good? Yo, Vic, I'm all tell set, the man. how you totally moved out of your house during the quarantine. Why don't you? Why don't oh, you yeah. So, that? yeah. Um, basically, my wife is a nurse at a Bronx hospital, and um, we live in an apartment building. And, uh, for, you know, once the coronavirus hit, we just decided that, you know, where we lived was just too dense in terms of the population. Um, my mother-in-law has a house in PA, so we shot over there. It was vacant. She moved, you know, she lives out in California. So we took the whole family, moved out, got a backyard for the first time. Cause we're, you know, we live, we lived in the Bronx our whole life. So, you know, we got a lot of space backyard, but we're in the sticks. So there's nothing but like, you know, old white folks out here. That's real. A lot of walkers, a lot of walkers with the little tennis balls on them. You know what I'm saying? You know what? Yeah, we we, we want to visit we your safe. neighbors because I'm curious to hear how they've been um, greeting you and acting. We, you know what? You know what? They 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 they, they stare a little bit. They do. They do. Not stare a little bit. Yeah. Now's not the time either. That's what I'm saying. Have not you the been time. getting yeah. a lot of? Oh, you know how you doing? Yeah. Uh, can uh-huh. I help? You know, it's been a little overboard. I'm using social distancing to just be so anti-social out here. I got nothing to say to nobody. I hear that. (laughs) Straight up. So this episode here, you know, we've been talking for a few weeks about getting into this whole uh, cops killing our our people and, you know, what we're going to do about it kind of conversation. And this week we are going to dig into it. We might be here all night if we have to, but we have a really, really... A great group of people that we're bringing on the show, um, and I want to introduce these guests. Without further ado, we have Miss Yasmin Tony, who will be our counselor today. She's a licensed professional counselor. What's up, Yas? Hey, hey, how's it going? Me and Yas go way back, so she okay. know. I, she, so she know the real about AJ, but don't tell nobody. <laughs> I'm sure they know, sir. Everybody knows. Everybody already knows. (laughs) We we also have a Miss Karen Darlington Phelps who will be giving us some legal advice or at least telling us where this stuff is going from a legal standpoint. She's an attorney at law in a private practice in Charlotte. What's up, Karen? What's going on? Nothing much. and Pleasure being on. I'm happy to speak with you all. No doubt. And we got my guy. My guy, my big brother, John Moss, a brand manager, a sales guru, and a list of other things. He's great. Now, John is special because I, I look to him for his his militant attitude. When some black go down, this is who I look for. I'm checking, I'm checking his Instagram because he's all about it. 
and, and just a quick story to tell you uh, about my, my big brother, John, is I went out to Atlanta to see him probably about two years ago, and we spent the entire Saturday basically spending our money in all these black places, um, restaurants, clothing stores. And that really gave me an eye-opening mm-hmm. experience because it was like I never had the opportunity to do that or never been pushed or motivated to do it. But once we mm-hmm. did it, I was like, man, I got to really start spending more money with black people. And that's something we're going to dive in today anyway. But uh, John, that's- what's up, baby? Black y'all, and I'm black y'all, and I'm black and black and black black y'all, and I'm black and black and black black y'all. I love it. And that's where we're headed today. <laughs> <laughs> but needless to say, you know, um, I think let's start off with this, right? I, I think everyone, unless you're sleeping under a rock, you know exactly what's going on in our world. But I do want to at least identify the the three latest. Uh, very untimely deaths of uh, black people by the hands of cops, which were Ahmaud Aubrey in February 23rd, Breonna Taylor on May 13th, and George Floyd on May 25th. Um, and I guess we can say George Floyd being the, the catalyst to everything that's going on. But I believe Breonna was in March, Adrian. Oh, March. March. I'm sorry. Yeah. March. Um, but with this, this recent episode of George Floyd being the catalyst, but what are your thoughts going on in your head with this this epidemic or pandemic that's going on with cops killing black people. Mm. Well, is it even any type of new thought or it, the, I, I would just have the, the continuing thought of ongoing anger being fed up, you know, hearing, you know, your first initial thought is not again, what the fuck, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to even but now, single one case out at this point because it's like it's all cause for the war. Are you numb to it now? Are any of you guys numb to this stuff no. that's going on now? It hurts every time. Mm-hmm. Especially that there's video and you see it and being as graphic as watching someone get shot down while they're running or yep. watching someone die for eight minutes. Like you can literally see the life leaving him um very traumatic very um you get emotional like when i was watching the video of george floyd first i didn't even want to watch but you know after a while you have to and um i immediately got emotional like tears like i didn't even think that that would happen i just figured okay let me watch another video mm-hmm. but it it i don't see how it, it doesn't just strike you to the core you know I, I think we need to. Ex- I think we need to examine some unique things that are happening in this time space, right? Um, for the last three months, I would argue that, or I'd submit to you that we've been actually on lockdown. Now, have any of y'all ever been arrested before? You know, no, real no. quick, real, real quick. quick. Yeah. All right, well, yeah, yeah. Ever, uh, let me go ahead and raise my hand. I've been arrested a couple times. Yes, yes, yes. Protesting, I got arrested as a kid. A couple other things, but um, if you once you ever once you ever on lockdown and you are behind that glass and that metal, you really get a chance to assess some things in your life. You get a chance to think about, damn, I could've just let that ride, or you know, I didn't have mm-hmm. to fight, I didn't have to, you know. And I think COVID-19 has forced us into lockdown where we got, to, we got to see that. We got to see, there are no distractions. There's no basketball, I don't have fancy football, I don't have baseball. There was no place to go and hide right now. So mm-hmm. you had to sit and watch that for nine minutes. You had to, the compound fracture of um, Ahmaud Arbery jogging, um, Breonna Taylor, and then um, this brother, George Floyd. 
couple that with Tamir Rice and all that. So in that right. lockdown, you start assessing not just what's going on now, you start assessing the past. And mm. it just came to a tremendous head to where it does feel a little different this time. Uh, if you look at history, different. there's always been... There's always been something that drove that catalyst that AJ mentioned, uh, whether it was the death of Dr. King, whether it was Brown versus Board of Education. Um, that catalyst, I believe, and this is just a man's opinion, is COVID put us on lockdown. Where we had, you didn't have, a lot of people were out of work. I mean, how many million filed for unemployment? You were forced to sit and watch that for nine minutes and start assessing these things. So um, that's what feels different to me. Um, and there, there's well, no time. Well, that's why I ask, are you guys numb? Because I feel like this is happening more and more. At least it's being videoed and we're being, uh, we're, we're able to watch it more and more. So, I mean, these three incidents alone, three times in, you know, two months. You know what I mean? So when I say numb, I don't mean numb as in ignoring it. I mean numb as in, damn, this is another one. But this George Floyd incident definitely was like the peak of frustration, a peak of anger because of we are watching, like T said, we're watching this guy lose his life literally in front of us. What's your thoughts, Yes? Um, I think that it was different, like he, like he said, because we are on lockdown and we're, we're forced to deal with it. Like we ain't got nowhere to go. You can't go to work and pretend like it didn't happen. Like we at home consistently with our phones and our devices in our hands. And so it's presented to, it, to us in a way that you can't ignore it. But I think that's important because you only can ignore things for so long before you have to deal with them. And we're mm -hmm. at the point where we have to deal with it. There's yes. no escaping racism at this point. No one can pretend like it's not existing at this, like there's so many. And I think right. that's why it's so difficult for people because there's no escape. Absolutely. You have to deal with it. I certainly agree with that. What's Face your thoughts the demons. On you, Karen? Uh, really, I think we have to remember that throughout history, this is really not the first time that something so heinous has gone viral, in a sense. You know, we, we're, we're thinking now that we have technology and we have cell phones that can easily capture these things on video, that it's because of that accessibility of communication around the globe that it's able to reach more. But... Uh, I think a lot of it was, there was an element of innocence to what it is that we saw that really kind of helped shock the conscience, as we say kind of in the legal realm, shock the conscience of not just black folk, but white folk of, 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 of a variety of communities across the globe. Because if we think back, the photograph of Emmett Till went mm. all over the world and that wasn't any video, you know, this is something, mm. um, you know, that was, you know, during segregation at its, at its height. And, but this mother had her son swollen, uh, all bones broken in his face. That photo, I mean, permeated throughout history. Same with the photograph of um, the four little girls. They found mm -hmm. you know, their remains in the rubble of that church. And so we look at George Floyd, and yes, he was being arrested for allegations of having tried to pass a counterfeit bill. But what mm -hmm. we see more than anything in that video is that he was handcuffed, he was compliant, and there really was nothing that he could have done to, right. Zero. to stop what ended up being the cause for his life being taken away. The, right. No one can make the argument that he was running. Right. No the argument that he was resisting, that he was fighting, that he was argumentative, that he was reaching in his pocket, that he was reaching for his phone, that right. he was making threats. Um, I think it kind of made everyone realize, you know, well, if that had been me, 
could I have done anything differently and still be alive today? And we, we all come to the same conclusion that no. no. Absolutely not. And Did it makes guys- a lot of people think what being, if you're put in that situation, even if you're watching, you know, now, now you're forced to think, what would I do? What would Am I, I going to stand? What would I do? Am I going to stand? Am I going to try to help? Would it be two dead people instead of one? Like we have to walk around with that burden of being ready to decide at that moment. At like that moment. what, what am I going to do? Yeah. So, so one other thing I want to mention, you missed one AJ. You know what? Mm-hmm. She reminded me when she brought up Emmett Till. Um, so we saw um, Ahmaud Arbery in February. We saw Breonna Taylor, I think it was in March. Don't forget. We also saw, the woman weaponized, try to weaponize the police Karen. on that brother, Ooh. on that brother in the uh, Central Park. <laughs> similar, yeah. similar to how Karen, right? similar <laughs> to how, um, similar to how the lady in in the Emmett Till case weaponized and, and said something right. happened that didn't happen. Absolutely. Uh, and that compound with that on the same, like a day later, you see the police actually being weaponized to mm-hmm. do what she wanted to happen to him. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, and it's like it's almost like a straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, yes. And I just want to make, don't forget that part. So all that leading up to us being Together. down, yes. all those compound, like, okay, I saw her call the police with, and act like, get a damn Oscar. Uh, Turn the Tony Award. all the way yes. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and then ho- hopefully, we'll, hopefully we'll talk about this um, a little bit later. I don't want to jump for your moderator thing, but the whole weaponization of, um, of the police against us and this brother and that's a birder. I don't know any black people that are birders. Um, I know a couple people that went to Harvard, but he is like such a respectable brother that I'm like, if you can weaponize against this dude, mm-hmm. Lord no knows my safe. background being arrested a couple times, you know, yeah. maybe done dug up all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I don't want to forget about the woman weaponizing um, mm-hmm. the police, trying to weaponize police, because that's a factor I think that also led into what helped add more absolutely. gasoline to the fire. Very true. Absolutely. 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 Now, that was a big um, part. Mm-hmm. yeah, big part. But I mean, listen, we'll be here talking all day about if we talked about all the single incidents that happened. I mean, there's been since George Floyd, there's been a, a dozen incidents of, you know, let's say white people uh, giving inaccurate statements on black people for whatever reason or or someone feeling like uh, a minority shouldn't be or a person of color shouldn't be in a certain area. Like I, I've watched those videos daily on this stupid websites that I go to. So we can't, I mean, so we can't really ignore it. Um, but I know T and, and you, John, mentioned protesting. Have you guys protested at all? Anybody no. protested? Anyone? Um, no? Yeah, no. I no. actually went to, I went to a rally the other day. It was pretty calm, um, quiet. Um, so you said like I a bad thing. No, no, no. I just <laughs> wouldn't call it. They didn't turn nothing up, so you like. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I went to hope I get some action, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was. It, I, I just I wouldn't call it um, protesting. To me, it was just more of like a unity type gathering. Oh, okay, um, okay, solidarity you know. kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's still right. very good, and it brought the community together. So we give um, you a half a point, Karen. You've been protesting. <laughs> I have, but in what I feel is is my way. I, I you know, I have oh, a young okay. child. Um, I was born with asthma. While I haven't had a, an attack in you know many years, I didn't want to take lightly that technically that could be considered a comorbidity to make me more susceptible with COVID nineteen. Because okay. we do have a pandemic raging in the background. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. we but, do. Um, I have 
definitely taken steps to be very intentional about my activity with Black economic empowerment. So, you know, prior oh, to yeah, us we, getting started, yes. we were, I know we were going to touch on that, but yeah, we definitely I said touch I, um, there, I, I, I was a small business owner. I owned my own law firm for 10 years in the Charlotte area. I was, I was, I'm someone who supports entrepreneurship, particularly amongst Black people. Um, I've been, uh, you know, a graduate of HBCUs all of my education from high school to undergrad to law school. So, you know, it's been something for supporting ourselves and our communities as far as, uh, you know, strengthening us financially. That's been something of of importance to me, but it's easy to kind of get attached to your brands and get attached to your, you know, your certain uh, products that you just kind of always bought and just never thought about it. But I made it a point to switch my bank accounts. I said, I'm going to, you know, not just talk about it, I'm going to be about it. I'm sending my direct deposit to my local black owned bank. I um, said, I looked to see any and all products that we had here at home, if I could find a black owned alternative. So my laundry Mm -hmm. detergent, my uh, gosh, you know, as far as um, different beauty products, body products, uh, spices and herbs. I mean, you know, I know people who sell all of these sorts of things. What, what, what am I doing? And, and in particular, too, I was really frustrated to learn about the history of Unilever. So I don't know if you all keep up with Afrobeat, but Burna Boy kind of has a little segment in one of his songs where he breaks down basically the whole, you know, sale of Nigeria to the Royal Niger Company, which uh, they bought the what is now present day Nigeria for a certain quantity of of British pounds, but that company went on to change its name to Unilever, which is the parent company of so many brands you wouldn't believe. I mean, from Lipton iced tea to Dove. Damn, I can't drink no Lipton? Briars (laughs) ice cream. I mean, you know, you can can Google it, but these are institutions that, you know, have prided themselves off of the exploitation of resources from communities that they have never taking a step back to try mm-hmm. to, you know, promote, to try to help. And in fact, you know, we're the driving force behind their colonization and their disenfranchisement. So I can't undo history, but I don't have to buy any more Dove soap. You know, I don't have God to buy damn it, I love Dove. Son of a <laughs> <laughs> I know. Hey, listen, hard. you're going you're gonna to have to edit that out, buddy. You're going to have to edit that one out. That's yeah, she, she making us look bad. She uh, make those look no. bad. And definitely edit that out. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there goes the Jurgens, uh, the Jurgens yep. sponsorship right there. I'm telling you, you. got to go. I'm telling Dove you, but Briars. knowledge is power. You know, you knowledge, can't look at it the power. same. You really can't. So you're right. Yeah. So let me let, let me ask let me ask you guys this, right? So since you know, it seems like none of us are are actively protesting besides T and her little nine toes in, one toe out. But <laughs> and and um, um, I take advantage of social media. But, let me and, ask you this you know, though. So let me ask you this. Let me, let me ask you guys this. Since I can, I mean, I don't want to assume because you guys look all young, but I guess it's safe to say that we're all 30 plus at the very least. We're all 30 plus. What are your thoughts on the protest or the looting with the protests? Are, are you for it, against it? What I'm do you think it. about that? It is oh. what it is. It's absolutely necessary. It's necessary. Yeah. Okay. You know, look how long we've been quiet. Look how long we've been peaceful and nothing has happened from that. You, you, you get attention. Ne- you think looting is necessary? No, no. Well, I wouldn't yes, say looting. Yes, Miss said yes. 
but don't walk it back to you. Don't walk it no, back no, now, T. But I'm just saying the action of it, you gotta make noise. They wanna be heard. You need to make a big impact. So if that's what it takes to be noticed and to get people to wake up, you rather loot a store than have another black man killed, right? So So my, my yeah. thing is I, I don't I don't I can't say that it's necessary, but I will say that I mean what's the next the next logical step, right? If you're protesting peacefully and, and I mean, going back hundreds of years, probably, um, and nothing's, you know, in terms of consequences and in terms of change, nothing's occurring. Where do you go from there? You just continue to protest peacefully right. and, and continue to just hope or, you know, you kind of the next logical right. step, right. you just start fucking it up. And, and obviously up. that's, yep, that's up. gotten people's attention this time around. Right. Um, I mean, listen. Right. Um, it's like I, mean, into... I don't say go loot a store, but I understand. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> listen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I there, Somebody, I, I could just, you know, it could be my ignorance. What's the middle ground? If something's not working, you're going to move on to something else. And where, where should we go from, you know, just beyond protesting peacefully? What is that? I think some cities had a good idea when they shut the highway down. Now, I don't know if mm-hmm. can't think exactly what, uh, I think it was a city in Texas. Um, I think they did and, that in LA somewhere. In LA. So, you know, I had some friends to say, well, yeah, I sure would be pissed off. Oh, did they? Yeah. They said, I'd be so pissed off. I was trying to get home or trying to get my baby and, you know, and they shut mm-hmm. down the highway. And yeah, I get it. But one thing I knew without a shadow of a doubt, it definitely got, someone's attention and they Absolutely. didn't bust up any cars they didn't throw anything off the freeway but they just were walking it's just a sea of people walking down the interstate but that, i think that uh, that's good for aesthetics but i think people don't respond to you fuck they should have <laughs> and that's the thing it's like if, it, if that needs oh, to happen a- no, amen needs to happen amen yeah amen. So, I T, I was, I was waiting for you to start looting, T, because I was going to see what you had. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to come up. I don't like you on my sharing. <laughs> <laughs> True indeed. So, so, th- so this whole looting conversation takes me to another angle with, let's say, the, the Martin versus Malcolm, right? Because, I mean, I guess, you know, we believe that Martin was so peaceful and Malcolm was so um, such a rebel. Are you, do you guys consider yourself more Malcolm or more Martin? Okay, so that pisses me off, first of all, because there's so many different people, other people yes. that were Martin. Absolutely. And they Absolutely. kill both of them equally. So it don't matter if I'm quiet or if I'm loud, they're going to kill me regardless. Great. But the, the fact that they make us feel like we have to choose. choose. Maybe today yes. I want to be Martin and tomorrow yeah. you ain't listen, so I'm going to tear your shit up and be, uh, be Malcolm. So that to me is just like th- them using ML King quotes. Like, yes, that's not even what he meant when he said that. Like, come on, not at all, not at all. You know, so but, it's just like you do what you got to do when you got to do it. I, mm-hmm. I certainly agree that you got to be. It's like being a parent, right? You want your child to know that you love, love them, and comfort them. But if they act up, you're gonna tap that ass. So yeah. it's kind of the, it's kind of the same thing, right? You, you, we want society to understand that we're not taking it no more, right? We, we want to be civilized, and we want to you know, live our lives peacefully, but we're not really taking it no more. So we got to tear something up from time to time to, to get some attention. And well, I was just, um, having a, I was just having a conversation on this the other day. Um, because they want you, they always want to portray the quiet, peaceful, you know, take anything Martin, but Martin was with the shits too. 
And towards Thank the you, end, Thank towards you. the end of of his life, you know, he started to turn. He was like, whatever, we got to do what we got to do. Yeah, and yeah. when he started talking more of that, that's when he died. That's when they killed him. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's just the Martin that they want everybody to know and that they put out because they like to pit Martin against Malcolm. Versus Malcolm, yes, choose, they do. You know, and um, so, yeah, that's a good point that everyone should know that Martin, Martin wasn't just a meek, quiet, you know, I'm just going to be quiet and sit here and get milk poured on me type of person. Mm-hmm. Either. I did yeah, hear I recently, can, I... too. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're, you're going. I, I'll yield to you, please. I want to hear what you say. <laughs> I, I did hear recently that one, uh, I guess, theory behind what led to their assassinations uh, just around the time that they did, because you wonder, you know, why didn't they kill, try killing them before? But um, that, they, that there was talk that Malcolm and Martin had um, good plans of uniting. That mm-hmm. they were mm-hmm. supposed to be mm-hmm. well. having meetings. You know, and that for them to bring in those two forces, you know, those two yeah. large sects of the black community, that that was really the bullet, you know, that uh, or I guess the their name being put on a bullet for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. The power that would have come from yeah. that union. First of all, look, Malcolm Martin, for me to choose, like me choosing between um, Vanessa Bell Calloway and uh, Anika Rose or something like that. They're both <laughs> brilliant minds. I love them to death. It'd be like, you know, my wife choosing between Boris Cujo, who she's crazy about, and uh, Denzel, or something like that. <laughs> right. They're both great. There's no two right. Don't put them I, against each other. I, um, I yield more towards Martin. And I think the sister said something brilliant. She said, Martin was with the shits. Like, he was, as, as he starts to die, he's talking about, you have the nerve to tell us to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. When you guys got land contracts to build and build all this wealth, we want our check. So yeah. he started going, tra- and the other sister said something about them forging. Once Malcolm, I mean, I mean, you can look it up. It, it was they were coming together eventually yeah. over the same, over the same. Look, we're all broken. We all got to get something. The people's campaign was about to happen. So um, I, I kind of I tend to yield more towards Martin because I do believe protests work. Um, just I mean, if you want to see how protests work, I live in Georgia. We Georgia and Texas opened up much faster than a lot of people out of fear that these crazy folks that were up in Michigan and New York and those places were going to come start doing the same thing. The thing about protesting is um, part of the equation has to be voting, right? And we, hopefully we'll get to that in a little bit later. But um, protests tend to work more so if the people in power are sensitive to what you are protesting. Um, so for instance, protesting here in Atlanta, um, the mayor is looking at getting rid of all chokeholds um, here in Atlanta and um, we've already done restorative stuff, but um, uh, protesting in DC, they're already gonna, already saying, hey, we're gonna get defund the police, protesting in Minneapolis, but protesting in different areas, you know, if you have a, a, a mayor who's not sympathetic to that, it's not gonna go very far, right? So you have to vote their asses out. So let's take it back uh, a few years when this stuff kind of became commercialized. In 2016, Colin Kaepernick kneeled for this very reason um, to bring attention to cops uh, harming Black people specifically. Um, And since then, obviously, we all know that he's been blackballed. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that he will, do you think that he did enough? Because there is a lot of speculation that he hasn't done enough, at least vocally or anything, to to continue the movement. What else can you think? I know. Well, some people, from what I've heard, some people have said that he hasn't been in the forefront, forefront of enough or been outwardly 
uh, supportive enough, right? You know, every time something happens, he makes a statement or says something on Twitter, but, you know, he's not just running with the torch. He's not, he's not a wordsmith, though. He's not, he's not really a spokesman. Right, and he lives it every day. Like, I, you know, people... I, I, I agree. I, listen, I'm playing devil's advocate. Don't kill me, T. <laughs> I'm just saying... <laughs> I don't agree with whoever they is. No, I, I, I don't. I don't necessarily agree. I don't necessarily agree either. Um, but I mean, honestly, I mean, if we look back at all this, I mean, he is in the forefront of it. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, think I, he's I, dedicated. I, I would, yeah, yes, I would like. I, I think he's definitely dedicated. I think he's done a lot of things behind the scenes to put his money where his mouth is. But I still would have liked him to still be relevant. But it's hard to be relevant when you're, I mean, you're blackballed and you know, people look at you a certain way for what you've done. I mean, we actually have, you know, Drew Brees, who was his his counterpart, who said he doesn't agree with people disrespecting the flag, which we know and it has been said a hundred times that that wasn't even his plight. That wasn't even yeah. the reason why Kaepernick Neal had nothing to do with disrespect. But people still, till, still tend to believe that that's why he kneeled. Yeah, so, I think he had to walk that back. That, um, at some point, people are exhausted. <laughs> and so let the man take a nap like mm-hmm. he's been kneeling and fighting against all these people that are putting out these politically correct statements now and want to be woke so right. Right. Like, he doesn't need to be at the forefront like let him take a rest he was on it back then you know like Jay said yes. I've been on that right. I'll catch up and so that's what I feel like everybody else needs to catch up and let that man take a break Mm-hmm. So this this is probably where I'm, I'm going to fall out of favor with y'all because I didn't really I didn't really um if as if I was in favor with y'all but I um I didn't necessarily agree with Kaepernick doing that. Okay. Um, me and my dad had long conversations about this, and the reason why is like so, you know, the NFL stands for not for long. It's not like a lot of other um, um, sports you can play, have a long life and play that for three years. Typically, is the average. And being a quarterback, you can make generational change, generation changing money, right? And I'm I'm one that believes that not everyone can play this play the same position. Like I didn't go protest. I'm too I'm too old right now. I got a family. I can't take them out. Now I did get arrested protesting back in the day, you know, back in the day. But now I can't play that role. Now I'll donate money or something like that. Um, and I my thinking was like, dude, you know, as a quarterback, you make $30, 40 million dollars a year. The revolution has to be finance, right? So. Dude, three years, get your money, and then come back with a vengeance. But to get blackballed and lose your livelihood, um, I commend him for it. I didn't necessarily agree with it. I think that history is going to look at him quite favorably, favorably for it. But if I had a son who made it to that level, the highest level, I would say, look, I'm, I know you're passionate about this, you care about this, but get the money, get out, and then do your thing. Or you can finance mm-hmm. it. Like Harry Belafonte financed a lot of stuff. Sidney Portier financed a bunch of stuff, right? So, I mean, that, that's where I probably fall out. Like, <laughs> I say get the money because, look, you can't fight wars without money, right? Yeah. My, my, my little whatever I make a year can't finance a war. But a $30 million a year for four years, you can make some things happen if that's where you're passionate. But guess what? Luckily, he's not the only rich black person that, that's around. He's not the only one making $30, $40 million. And if that's the way that his heart and you know that was calling him to to be in the forefront and state his case then by all means do 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 what you think is best he definitely was noticed and definitely had a point and drew people to the cause so it was understood so that's when we need to come together because he's not the only rich black person you know what i mean mm-hmm. 
So somebody you know, we don't have somebody, NFL to give them though. We don't have somebody. NFL to yeah. hire them. You know, you know what's interesting also? Uh, to, to your point, John, like the NFL, it stands for not for long. And so Cap had a platform and he chose to use it. And he didn't let, say, that, finances. That, yeah. yeah, he didn't let money or finances supersede whatever it is that he believed in. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that he had to do it when he did it because not for long. You could, right. you could tear an ACL. You don't have that platform anymore. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit about Cap anymore. You understand? He, he's not in the, if you're not an elite quarterback, nobody cares about you, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's like going off a cliff, you know, in the NFL. One year to the next, you just don't – you just no longer have that platform. So, you know, in terms of the amount of people he reached um, and him deciding that, you know, look, it's, this is worthy of, you know, me perhaps not, you know, receiving a contract or working anymore. Um, and then, you know, and, and the cause superseded it. But I agree with it. Right. Um, I, I don't disagree with you either. Get the money. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think it is about the platform and, and that can be easily taken yeah. away from you. He had to do it when the time was right. And that was the time that was right for him. Yeah. So, and so he sealed want- the place for himself and throughout history. Now, yep. I mean, now mm-hmm. he'll he'll have something that he'll be able to continue this work that he'll be able to continue well into old age. You know, I mean, it'll mm-hmm. it'll continue on for generations and he's vindicated now mm-hmm. i mean at that time he he drew out all these people who tried to misconstrue the message who tried to say that it's about it's about our troops you're saying you don't support our flag you're you know everyone who tried to take it in another direction when he was consistent that this is about police brutality and sadly mm-hmm. the timing was perfect because sure you know as we all knew it would just continue to escalate. It would get worse. Right. And then now we caught something. We actually saw a man die on film, mm-hmm. handcuffed on the ground, held down, and he yes. didn't even resist. I mean, so now there's, what did he do to deserve that now? Now there's no, there's no justification for it. And At all. here goes Kaepernick, you know, that. Yeah. Like, well, well, well. All right. <laughs> right. So, uh, well, and then, and then also right in terms of sacrifice, right? I mean, None of it's easy, right? But when you are four years ago kind of calling attention to a cause, okay, um, on your own, pretty much doing that with whatever platform you have versus today jumping in line with everyone else, okay, real easy to do it today. Real right. easy to fall in line mm-hmm. and conform and just do what everybody else is doing. Yep. I don't want to take anything away from anyone. But your four years ago, Cap all alone doing it his damn self, I think there's something that has to be said about that because that's sacrifice. Absolutely. Yeah. He's a trailblazer. Absolutely. He was. So, so what, what do you guys think about, I know we talked about a little <laughs> bit about Steven. these. Yeah, we don't like you, John. Don't worry, John. We don't hey, man. Like you. I, 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 I'm just saying. I, like, if Good I had a son, I'd be like, yo, man, get that money. Get that money. And then, <laughs> yeah. fight, and then fight the cause on the other. Because, no, they're they going to be hitting you up for money. Dude, you got to finance You got to finance so well, how about this, John? He's going to keep making money because he's been on the cover of Time. He's been on the cover he's good. of, you know, how many magazines, all these mm-hmm. endorsements. It's not about to stop. So mm-hmm. he's going to make that money. Don't worry. So we <laughs> talked about, uh, you know, people either just jumping on the bandwagon or saying some foul shit and then trying to walk it back. How do y'all guys feel about the CrossFit CEO and the Starbucks uh, person and what they said? Uh, now, let me give you refresh some, me. Some, I don't. Okay, what, so, what does CrossFit say? What so is, the, the CrossFit CEO, he said that you know there was no reason for him or they shouldn't be mourning Floyd. 
you know, and he went into a whole spiel on why he shouldn't mourn for it for like an hour. And then the Starbucks, uh, I guess, CEO, whoever's in charge, he banned any worker from wearing anything that symbolized the Black Lives Matter movement. Wow. I didn't hear so, about Starbucks. Um, I actually just that saw, I just saw, a, like, just not too long ago, um, right before I hopped on here, a statement from Starbucks. So they of kind of backpedaled a little bit. They all backpedaled. Said but... that, you know, they're going to come up with a uniformed, um, look or t-shirt or something for everyone to wear in the store. So, you know, that was their little cleanup. Um, so my question but yeah, it's is, like too late. Starbucks? You said what you said. Are you going no. to Starbucks? Pause. Yes, Starbucks. no. I don't know for Karen. You know for Karen. Well, <laughs> like, why we let people walk it back? Like, people say what that's, they mean. That's they what I'll be right. saying. Stand on what you say. And right. then they say, oh, let me fix, let me try to dust it off so they can come back. And we allow it to happen. Like, th- right. they said what they said. He, they said, don't come up in here with no Kente cloth on. Right. <laughs> I don't want to see no Black Lives Matter t-shirt. It. So wh- are you, why are you shocked? It's just like, okay, mm-hmm. you either fuck with Starbucks or you don't, because they said Black Lives don't matter. Pretty so, straight up. Don't, don't well, try I, to back. Well, I must say, yeah, as I told a lot of people some bad stuff about you back in the day. So hopefully you forgive me. <laughs> you stay trying to backpedal it. <laughs> I'm a I'm a backpeller. I'm a habitual backpeller. Just letting y'all know. <laughs> I, I stopped going to Starbucks when they kicked them brothers out that long there time you go. ago. Right. You know, I go to Urban Grind anyway, but, but them folk can do whatever they that's their company. They can do whatever they want to. If they want to say hey, you, you can't come in here with Black Lives Matter, you can't come in here with Black Lives Matter. But but that one is. thing that we do, but one thing that we do is we like yeah, I said we forgive too we easy. Forgive. But we, we also do. have this short term memory uh, band. Of, like yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna boycott Starbucks for a week, but in two weeks we gotta go back to Starbucks. Like when, right. I think it's time, and I, I guess we'll dive later. But I think it's time that we really stand on what we what we say. Yeah, or, yeah. Or like, listen, we're not going to Starbucks ever again. Yeah, yeah. right, never. Right. So um, the the next topic I want to get into is more um specialize and I kind of want to get Karen and Yasmin's thoughts on this um and the repercussions of what's going on right now from a legal standpoint what what does it look like prison prison time wise for these guys well what does that look like murder is a in this case is a state offense so you know when people are wondering kind of what are the legal ramifications, how would this go down in a, in a court of law? It's going to vary by state. So for Minnesota, they have, uh, they originally charged him with third degree murder. Third degree doesn't mm-hmm. exist in every state. Um, it'll usually go first degree, which is capital murder, premeditated murder, second degree, which is heat of passion. You know, you're, um, but with still the intention of killing the person and then manslaughter where usually a fight or something has, has gone down to that resulted in the person's death. So uh, every state has codified their um, sentencing structure, how they see fit. I mean, there are similarities amongst states, but there are many differences. So for okay. Minnesota, just from what I, you know, in research and what I looked up, they said that for second degree, it carries a maximum of 40 years, but district attorneys or prosecutors or um, they have different names in different states, but the prosecutor can make a recommendation based on factors of the case. If they feel that there were aggravating factors, 
his, his defense counsel is going to bring up mitigating factors, you know, things to try to, to lessen the, the blow, as, if you want to call it that, um, for how he'll be sentenced. And then these recommendations are presented to a, to a judge who will um, make that decision. This is in plea negotiations. This is assuming right. if he pleads guilty. Um, so what else are you going to plea? Well, I, as from what I last read, he has not made he has uh, not. pleas yeah. yet. Nope. So he could plead not he could plead not guilty. So uh, in terms of non, no contest. Uh-huh. In ter- in terms of mitigating factors that you had mentioned, uh, is is that mm-hmm. basically hey, he was in shitty health to begin with, um and so that's kind of like why we are where we are. No. The mitigating factor would have to be on the part of the defendant. So as a defense attorney, when I did criminal uh, law, I'm going to try to bring up things about my client that will hopefully make the judge, when making a decision about um, their, their sentencing, this is, this is during the course of a guilty plea, I want them to know that maybe my client suffered from addiction or maybe my client um, mm. did, uh, you know, uh, uh, was very cooperative turned themselves in at the time when they knew that there was a warrant for their arrest or maybe uh they were um during the course while they have been in custody if they've been in custody for a period of time while the case was pending they made decisions to voluntarily sign up for a drug treatment class or anger management class while Mm. they were in there these are things to try to mitigate the actions or the behavior of the person so what his mitigating factors could be, you know, right, maybe, like, you know, and I'll be honest too. I just, because of my own sensitivities, I didn't watch the whole video. Okay. Um, I just, just the still photos enough and knowing that he died, you know, I, I could have nightmares about that sort of thing. So I just had to, for my own sanity, I didn't watch it, but I do know that, you know, if he, made a claim that I think I, I heard some foolishness that I, they had, they've had to since walk back those details, but they, they made some comment that they f- said that he was undergoing some sort of medical condition at the time. So, you know, if you were, if the officer were to say that he was attempting to do something and then something was exacerbated, you know, that maybe that would be a way in which he could try to mitigate or if he said that he felt he was threatened you know now the video of course is going to nothing shoot right. down yeah. a lot of what his defense attorney would have in his arsenal but to answer your question you know those are the things that um can all play a part in that sentencing what it ultimately results in the sentence but i've read that the recommendation for him is 12 years out of that maximum of 40 what is 12 years that's disgusting yeah. And understand this. Well, years. And, and, and if you could just give us a little perspective on the types of other crimes that result in you being in prison for more than 12, 12 or more years, it's so probably the, absurd, right? The, the, issue, the issue that you run into is that, Awful. as I mentioned, every state has its own sentencing structure, but also your prior criminal history is going to come into play. So mm. if he, if Chauvin or Chauvin has not, had any priors which i imagine they you know he could have had prior complaints we know he's had other disciplinary you know complaints brought against him but he has not had any most likely has not had any criminal convictions his prior history is going to be what determines what box he falls in under as far as the sentencing structure and that can't Mm. change uh in spite of how heinous you know the crime is the charge is what determines what 
the range is, but your prior history determines what kind of column you fall under. Hmm. So uh, in his case, I don't know what it is for Minnesota, but if he has no prior convictions for North Carolina, we consider that to be a prior record level one, meaning you've had zero prior convictions. You fall to a record level two when you've had one or more, or one, two, I think it was one to four. Um, and then you have uh, prior record level three. So this is what you're dealing with as far as your misdemeanors. Now, when you get to felonies, you know, I think they go up to six or seven. But again, it's still the sentencing structure is determined by your prior history. So he probably has a clean record, you know, criminally. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, you know, the recommendation is likely to be from, you know, what the headlines are saying, 12 years. Same for the other mm -hmm. officers who've been charged with aiding and abetting. They face a maximum of 40, but that maximum is if they had priors, you know, that, that put them in the highest sentencing structure. Go ahead. 12, 12 years is ridiculous. Like to even throw out 12 years in, yeah. in this particular scenario is, that's crazy. I agree. I, I mean, it's crazy. But mm -hmm. another question I had that I would like uh, some expert opinion on is the mental health post all of the riots, post all of the protesting and all of these incidents. Yasmin, can you help us out and, and tell us a little bit what you think, how you think we're going to manage mentally after all of this? We're not managing mentally. Um, and I don't think we can. I don't think that there's, I think the things that we've come to normalize as our existence is totally not normal. And that's why most of us aren't doing very well. And that's why most of us um, struggle because we see these things and it's a part of our lives. You know, like we rationalize these things. We try to come up with better understanding and logic, but it's really inhumane. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're all like existing while black is sort of like we, we all have PTSD, Amen. like we really do. Like the reality of the simple, the subtle racism that we don't even identify as racism. You know, um, before I got on the call, I, I spoke with my client, it was having a very difficult time. And you know, she was triggered by all of these things because there are so many memories of people saying things and doing things to her that she just, you know, thought it was her, you know, well, maybe I am this, or maybe I am that. And the reality mm -hmm. is, it's just that people don't see you. They see you as black first. And mm -hmm. existing in that, like, we exist in it, but we're not normal. We're not okay. We try to pretend like we're okay, but we're not. Like, anytime you have to experience this and rationalize these things, there's a problem. Go ahead, Mark. I had a question for, for the therapist. So how do we begin to, I mean, like if you're suffering from the, PS, the PTSD, like I said, I've, I've been traumatized by them. Um, the, the Ahmaud Arbery really hurt me a lot. Mm -hmm. um, what do you suggest? Where are some, do you have any suggestions to, to cope with it? Because I know I've been having a really tough time, period. Well, um, first, I think don't even, like, I, I can't watch videos. Like, I stopped watching videos years ago. I can't process it. I can't process these types of things. They're very difficult. So I say, one, take some of the stimulation away. Like, don't watch the videos. But I think you touch. have to engage in the conversations of what's stirring up inside of you and what's triggering. 
about the video. Like for a lot of us, you know, they look like our neighbor or our cousin or something about it is, is personal for us. But you have to talk it through and you have to know what your capacity is. If you can take it, really, I don't think we should be taking it, but uh, you know, I feel like some people are better equipped than others. But, you know, really, we have to be aware of what's, what's going on and how it's making us feel and talk about it, you know, mm -hmm. in a very realistic way, not of making excuses, not of rationalizing and really being vulnerable and saying what this is stirring up inside of you. You know, a lot of times we, well, but, and kind of, but it's like, no, you got to say like, this shit is really fucking with me. Like it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's really breaking me down. I can't sleep. I, you know, you, you just have to be mm -hmm. honest about it and not try to pretend like it's okay. And you're okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very, very, very strong points. Very, well very strong points. Yep. Uh, um, Going back to, or let's touch it on this Martin versus Malcolm thing, or not verse, let's not use that word, but Martin and Malcolm thing. Um, in my mind, and I could be totally wrong, and I'm, and I'm comfortable being wrong, you guys can tell me that, but I think that we're missing um, Black leadership, at least obvious Black leadership. I think in, in our parents' time, or maybe our grandparents' time, they had uh, a Martin or a Malcolm and, and various other peoples that were obvious leaders of the Black community. Do you guys have anybody that you would think would be leaders of the black community now that will represent for the masses? I think that a time for having a, like the masses, I don't know that that's possible because I think we've evolved and there's so many different black experiences that I think every community needs a leader. Like I think in the neighborhood, there should be a leader. In the school, there should be a leader. There should be various leaders. Because I think what's happened, again, like we're all so different and we all have different experiences and we all have different end goals. And I think to think that one person can be all encompassing for all of us is where the division starts. So I think if we could have small, you know, leaderships in okay. every community, then we, with the collective goal of upward mobility, then we could get closer to it instead of expecting us to be able to put all our trust in one specific person. Now, do you think that having a lot of end goals or multiple end goals could be a problem while we can't take a few steps ahead because there are so many end goals instead of us yeah. as a, a people, us as a culture, having one specific need or one specific goal that we need to be met? Yes. I think if we can comp like say, okay, well, first we're going to get, you know, work on financial empowerment. Then once mm -hmm. we get that going, then we can work on this and then we can work on this. It's not like, you know, it, it's just like managing better. We all know that we have different goals, but let's compartmentalize them for the sake of getting them done. You know, well, I think the good thing, um, about now is because yeah let's be honest it's so many levels to what needs to be worked on um mm -hmm. for black people and for equality and it's not just defund the police you know it's not it's it's education it's, it's status it's employment it's where we live like so i think that the good thing out of right now is everyone is focused on this one task and so then once we see success and once we make movement with that in these laws, then I hope it continues to, okay, so now let's go for education. Okay, now let's go for in the workplace. Now let's go for laws about where we live and in our communities. So 
I think it's starting. It's slowly starting. There's definitely a shift. And uh, it's just more about, yeah, organizing about what comes next and how we go about it. And I also think, I mean, I guess depending on where you live, there are a lot of people making noise and that are coming, coming, starting to stand out as leaders in our community that um, are making things happen. So they might not be on a Malcolm or Martin level yet. Mm-hmm. But I see them go getting there. And like when this is all over, there are certain names that will stand out. Definitely. Like who? Like who? Um, I feel Tamika, Tamika Marley, she's making noise. I mean, in New York. I don't know about in Atlanta. And, you know, she's they've all over. My son, he's making noise in New York. Um, who else? I mean, sellers. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, you know, there's, there's a few people I've noticed that are making noise in more than just their state and are, are getting around and, and getting the message out. Okay. Who do, who do you think, John? There's got to be somebody. Because uh, there are people that are I, starting I, I, to stand out. That's, that's why I wanted to ask, like, who do you see? Because um, I think I'm looking more towards a lot of the, the academics. Um, uh, I think, like... Um, uh, between my world and me, oh gosh, the author escapes me. Oh, Tenakas, Tenakasi. I think, yeah, I can mess up his name, but I'm looking at more of the academicians. However, I don't see them out in the forefront as much as like I see Bakari a lot. I've seen like you know people like Killer Mark and Killer Mike. Mark. Yeah, Killer Mike. Killer Mike is dope. Yeah, I like Killer Mike. Yeah. You like you like Killer Mike? I do like Killer Mike. I think he speaks very well, very clear, and he has that volatile attitude but it's subdued you know he's kind of like i can't smack you but i'm going to talk to you instead which i really do like <laughs> I really and he's like also kind of he takes different approaches like mm-hmm. it's not he, he yeah mm-hmm. I do like not that. a fan of killer mike not a fan of killer mike or mike really mike. This guy. yeah and both this those guys with the morehouse with me yeah, both those cats were the house with me. But, That's what I'm saying. Um, Who stands out to you? I really like Trevor Noah too. I really like Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah, the comedian. Is he not? Is, he's more than just a comedian, though. You gotta listen. Yeah, like, Dick, Gregory, a Dick Gregory, hey, Dick Gregory, yeah. A comedian. Yeah. Nah, I mean, I, I'm not feeling Killer Mike or Mark Lamont. And I thought at one time I, I probably would agree with you, AJ. But I mean, the last election, man, them cats voted for like some Jill Stein. That's like, that's like, that's analogous to like, all right, you and I are talking. And we got a fight coming up, but uh, they say, all right, you're going to bring brass knuckles and switchblades. You're like, well, I don't operate with nothing but a gun, so I'm not coming. I mean, dude, you oh, got to okay. work with what you got. So I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, trust me, I love his got speech you. he gave here in Atlanta when they were riding up the street for me. But, mm-hmm. dude, when we needed you, you know, you pretty much went to, went to McDonald's and ordered a, uh, a Whopper. It don't work okay. like that. So I'm, I'm not feeling that. I mean, they can say good stuff. But I do agree. I think Bakari, you know, Bakari's cool cat. Um, I don't know, do we really need central leadership? Because we've seen what happens when we have central leadership. I think the sister said something about a lot of local leadership is coming out of different areas that might be mm-hmm. unique to certain things that are in our area. I think that probably is what we'll probably see more of in the future. Um, and, and we'll also lean on a lot of the academicians like you know, Cornell, Cornell West, you know, they're getting old, but I mean, I love this, I love Coates. Um, um, I, I love a lot of the stuff that I, I read out of Malcolm Gladwell and. And, and some of these things are making people think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, what are you guys' thoughts on that? As I far as... That, uh, again, different people can, can speak to different things. And so I think uh, 
a Cornell West can't speak to, well, he might be able to, but it's a little bit different speaking to the hoods. So mm -hmm. you, you, like, again, black, the experience is yeah. so Killer black. Mike speaks to the hood. So mm -hmm. you need somebody that can go in a hood and speak to the hood because they're a huge part of the upward mo mobility of our people. Right. So mm -hmm. again, you know, some people are too proper and, and pristine to get down and dirty. So that's why I think there needs to be a variety of leadership so people can identify with who they identify with. Mm -hmm. that, that makes total sense. I think we should all vote for Vic. Vic, you ready to take that? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm actually unique because I could speak to the hood and to the, you know, the pristine white <laughs> folks, black folks, doesn't matter. <laughs> right. doesn't I'm matter. like a damn yeah. chameleon. No, listen, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm hearing a lot of names. I honestly um, don't know who most of these people are, if I'm being truthful. But after the podcast, I'll, I'll obviously look them up. But more than anything, I am being quiet because sometimes, you know, you just got to shut your mouth in and actually listen, right? I feel like I'm being educated a little bit here. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. I, I know we talked about, um, you know, again, Kaepernick and, you know, could he be more... Uh, you know, in the in the forefront of all this, but uh, I think Don Lemon made mention of this. I want to say last week about celebrities and their voices. Do you guys think that black celebrities have used their voices enough surrounding this topic? I think they're coming out. Um, I mean, it's 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 to me, it's always I respect it more if you've been using your voice and you've yep, been in facts. the movement and you've been uplifting your people. Like I respect that more, but I mean, well, I MJ, guess a lot MJ of can keep his hundred million. Right? Hello. Um, but there are a lot of people that I guess oh, I are waking up or it just can't be ignored anymore. And you have to speak up or else we're going to look at you crazy. So, so, okay. so that's do you where think, I'm at with that. So do you think they are speaking up? Cause I mean, I haven't heard much. From I think a lot it's happening. Okay. Yeah, I, I think. But like I said, I, I respect it more to the ones that have been doing it and been about it. Well, I mean, that goes I, I don't, don't want to discount. I don't want yeah. to discount anybody that's late to the party. Yeah, no, I, I, mean, don't, I don't want to discount anyone that's late to the party, y'all, because the thing about it is not everyone's going to be like a Cal Kaepernick or, like right. me, mm -hmm. or the Andrew Hawkins dude who did it before Colin Kaepernick or uh, my man, my Mua my Ralph. Um, Action Jackson. Oh, right. Yep, 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 yep. Um, back in the day. So, dude, I mean, we want them to get there, right? So, I mean, whether you get there this year or next year, I mean, yeah, we we could harp on the fact that you know I've been doing this, but I mean, dude, we need we need allies. So, um, right. As soon as they come it's to, it's it, to the, the point now, you have to wake up. You can't ignore it anymore. You can't stay in your little bubble. And you gotta, you gotta. It's either like they say, you gotta pick a side now. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have a choice. I mean, but what about sustainability here, right? Like, uh, how important is it that, you know, yes, yeah, the hot topic right now and everybody's jumping on, but, you know, when the media and, and the lights aren't on anymore and it's, it's no longer, like, the thing to do, you know, and people just start to fucking disappear. Does that, does that matter at all? Well, that's the thing. It has to, it has to, there has to be a shift where it doesn't let up. Like, you don't let up and people have to be committed to, keeping it going until there really is a change. So I guess only time will tell how that goes, but, but I think you know, it's, it's a long fight. I think it's important for people to know how to keep the momentum going. It's one thing mm. to say that people need to keep it going, but 
are we preparing ourselves to keep it going? So mm-hmm. yeah, you can pick it something for a week, but then it's just like, okay, how, where am I getting my groceries from? Where am I buying my clothes from? So I think there needs to be a long-term plan to where we can say, this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to keep it going. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's when it's hot, it's hot, but what about when it cools down, then how can we keep the momentum going? Well, well how do we do that? Well, how do we do that? I don't know, but I think that as smart as we are, collectively, we can come up with various ways to keep it going, you know, like supporting Black businesses, like empowering our communities. There are a plethora of things that we could do, but we just have to be systematic with doing them and supporting the people in doing them. You know, I I just drive to a grocery store 20 miles away because it's black owned. What about my neighbor who can't, you know, so collectively coming together and figuring out the answers. Uber Eats. (laughs) 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 All right. So, so I I guess that's a a good uh, segue into what we want to talk about next, which is what's next Uh, is police reform. Obviously, I think that's a, a no brainer. But defunding the police, I know that's been something that's been hot, a hot topic lately is, is defunding the police. Maybe, Karen, maybe this is more your area of expertise. Is, is that a viable option? Uh, well, I'm still educating myself kind of on some of these suggestions that have started floating around. Because um, I, when I initially heard defund the police, I thought that meant like abolition or eradicating right. the police. And, you know, in learning a bit more I think it's more about a reallocation of funds. So much money is funneled to the police and to unions, to the police union, that I don't think people really realize. I I saw a really good uh, segment on Trevor Noah um, where one of the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter movement spoke up about um, her city of Los Angeles. And she said how 53 or 54% of the city's entire budget goes to the police. And the remainder is to spread out across all the different organizations, all the Schools, different uh, initiatives. Rec, yeah. yeah. And can you imagine that? You know, I don't even think mm-hmm. that the, the, the civilians, the citizens of Los Angeles would, would know or realize just how much money is being okay. shifted to the police department. So I think yes, that if well, there is a reallocation of the funds, to more of the programs, to more preventative measures as mm-hmm. what is starting to kind of float around, you know, just as um, Yasmin spoke about the mental health factor, that is it's such a huge factor in the black community by no fault of our own. You know, you may not even have necessarily a history of mental illness in your family, but just living day to day, just the experiences of your own family members, your experiences to coming up through school with, uh, you know, your teachers, Many uh, that, that pipeline to, to the prison system starts in elementary school. Uh, just the trauma and the things that you have been exposed to throughout your, your life that can lend itself to, you know, maybe poor behavior or um, issues with the law later on, that if there was more of a focus put on it in the, on the front end. Um, that it could make a huge difference, but it costs money. Social workers mm-hmm. need to be paid. They're paid next to nothing, but they're paid something. And, you know, they need to be paid more. More of these programs need to have more uh, resources shifted to them. And they can't survive just off of donations alone. Mm-hmm. These are, these are uh, positions that the government needs to uh, make a priority. And so I think that defund the police kind of mission or goal 
is to say, let's take some of the money out of their pockets since you know, there, there isn't a focus put on, on loving the community that they serve. And how about we, we make, we put our money where our mouth is and, uh, and help right. those organizations. Out. Yeah. It's towards putting it towards other right. things to benefit the community. I, I, I think, I think what we're seeing is like, what we're seeing is like um, the, the causation correlation argument, right? So we know for the, for a fact that crime has been going down. However, the budget for police has been steadily rising, steadily rising, steadily rising. So um, the argument is, uh, is, uh, the, is crime going down because we're investing more money in police? And I think the argument needs to be had is that if that's the case, I, I would submit to you it's probably not the case. Um, I think more money probably, I think what we're looking at now, and I think we should have this discussion is more money going towards preventive measures, restorative justice, um, social workers, and, um, and, and that and the like, like the sister said. Um, I, th I think it's a tough, I mean, so long, you know, polit politicians have, have ran on campaign on financing or more, more of a budget towards police. I think we're in, the, in the, the climate now where we're seeing that perhaps there should be a shift there, a paradigm shift where we look at doing more things, um, where we're not crediting the police for there being less crime per se. Um, and um, it's really funny, I, I worked with restorative justice and I was surprised to see that police were actually um, working with the schools. Like if I had a kid that got in a fight, you may, like I'm a lot older than y'all, but you may remember, I remember when I got in a fight or something like that, I get suspended for three days or something like that. Kids are now getting arrested in Georgia, in Atlanta. Mm. Like you get arrested. I thought it was unheard of when I heard about it like five years ago. Um, so some of these things I think police probably shouldn't be doing. Um, and we can go back to the old school way of doing things. And that means less money. So as a brand person, I think the phrase defund the police is a losing branding strategy. But mm -hmm. um, I think the, the spirit of it is right. I think it has to have a different title. Um, I don't know what that title would be, but um, I, obviously we're going to hear a lot about it in the political landscape coming. And I think it's a losing, I think it's a losing title um, that, that I know the conservatives are going to latch on to. It has to be something else. No one's going to dive into the depth of what they're saying. They're going to take that, oh, you must mean abolish the police. Yeah, they're gonna run exactly. Exactly. Well, I think one thing we can all agree on, or at least we spoke on today, is, you know, supporting more black businesses. I mean, um, I, I looked it up a little bit and it seems like everywhere I look that our buying power, black buying power is at least $1 trillion. You know what I mean? So we, we definitely need to recycle some of that money in our own mm -hmm. community, into our own stores and developing our own stuff. Because at the end of the day, no matter what we're talking about, I think that's the only way we get to a level of independence is where we own our own stuff and then we're pulling everybody else up into our stuff. Um, Ownership. Yep. Yep. Ownership. Mm -hmm. Ownership is key. You know what I mean? But again, it, it goes back to what you guys were saying. You know, you get you get used to buying the same brands. Are you willing to drive 20 miles out the way to go to a black owned grocery store? Are you willing to, you know, spend a little bit more? Because quite frankly, you know, some of the products that we sell are a little bit more than the stuff that we buy, whether it's produced in masses, whether it's the ingredients or whatever the case may be. So what are we willing to do to to make sure that we do recycle our dollars in our community? And you really have to start by making it like a lifestyle and letting like it become a habit. Kind of like Yeah, Karen. because oh. <laughs> yes. Because that's the only way it'll be effective. Like that has to be your lifestyle. You have to make a point of being like, okay, who owns this? Is this black owned? Is there something else that I can buy? Is there another, you know, another a vendor that I can go to? Like it really has to become part of your lifestyle or else it'll fizz out real quick and you get used to, you know, doing the same old thing that you've been doing. And stop asking for the hookup. That, yeah. Pay, pay for it. Damn it. 
Damn it. Painful I'm a hooker. Painful Yes. That's for you, AJ. Yeah, that yeah. is that is it. He was talking to me. He was definitely talking to me. I'm I'm that guy. But you know what's crazy? I've I've been lucky enough to have a few a few really good friends that own businesses, and I go in their businesses. And although I am a hookup guy, and I spend extra, I tip more because I know the struggle. I own my own business, and to me, it shocks me how you know someone who looks like me would come to me and ask me for a discount on my services, but then go spend you know two hundred dollars on some basketball shoes that they don't need. You know what I mean? That's just the that's just the frustrating politics of it, and I don't get it. You know what I mean? But um, well, it's because you know, you know everybody's thinking oh, you're they're uh, coming from the mindset of yeah, the hookup. You're my friend. The hookup. You, right. you know, cut me cut me a deal. But you got you got to change that mindset. It's a business. This is my business. I'm making money See, off of it. Right. You need this to support. Five hundred one c three. Right. Express no. that to them. We're I'm in the business of making money. Yeah. Um, I, now I will say this. As much as I support black businesses, I do start to, there's a point where they can piss me off where I don't go anymore. Like, I remember that's when I was in Atlanta. I told them I don't go to Cafe Circle because it's a restaurant, great vibe, beautiful women. You know, it's Atlanta, but they charge you a tip automatically with the bill and I can't live life like that. Who do they think they are, bro? I can't do it. Or, or, or they're going to charge me, you're going to charge me a cover to come into a restaurant, dog? For real? Oh. Mm. And I spoke to one of the owners, a cool brother, and he was like, man, I got to pay for this, this, and this. He's talking to me, I got to pay for that, dog. Come on, man. But no and then, then he started telling me how we don't tip. That's why they got to add the tip. They got to add the tip to the bill off the rip. <laughs> like, come on, man. <laughs> so, hey, hey, just those are my grievances. I just find well, just like, any, just like any other establishment, you find the ones that you like, patron the ones you that you like, mm -hmm. and make sure yeah. you go there. <laughs> you know. And one thing people need to remember is that the more we start supporting our own business, the more of our own businesses there can be for us yeah. to support, you know, mm -hmm. you, right, it's, right. it's difficult now and you're having to drive so far now because there's so few, because with integration, you know, now with all the joys and all of the benefits that integration brought, it, it also instilled this sense that now we can afford the best. Now we mm -hmm. have, you know, we can, we don't have to be left to all that we can do, the best that we can do. The best is what is available to everyone. So mm -hmm. when given the choice, we went, white we went we we believe that white, white is right. right right exactly mm -hmm. but oh what, now you know the white ice is colder <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you know that mentality really became a part of our culture you know we got we got married to brands and to you know to trademarks and to things that really the the value is only established based on the goodwill but if mm -hmm. we supported more of our own businesses primarily our own banks then our banks are in a better position to lend to business owners to, so that they are so that they can get the capital to be able to fund more enterprises. And so there you have competition. You don't mm -hmm. like that one restaurant. You don't like how you were treated in that one boutique. You've got more than one, you know, to choose from and still be mm -hmm. supporting the black community. That's why it's, mm -hmm. it's going to be tough right now because we're still kind of back to the basics. Tulsa's gone. You know, Black Wall Street in Durham is gone. Well, you know, the, the notoriety we rose to in Wilmington, after those riots, those things are gone. So we're always having to rebuild. But if mm -hmm. there's so many of us with a trillion dollars worth of buying power, 
we could make it to where we could build establishments and, and establish enterprises that can sustain. Yes. That would make our economy strong as, as a community and just help the American economy overall. You know, our, our dollars will still be in circulation and making America great. <laughs> Like Don't say that. <laughs> so, so let me ask. That just gave me. That just gave She ruined it by saying that part. Right. <laughs> it was so great. That, 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 made, me that made me twitch. <laughs> so let me ask y'all this. Let me ask y'all opinion on this because a few episodes ago we talked about entrepreneurship and T had an idea for a strip club daycare. Y'all, y'all think that's going to pop off? Oh, God. I never so said that. idea for a strip club daycare. Don't ever, yeah. don't, yeah. don't believe him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who's going to watch their kids? That's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. There you go, T. You got, you got somebody, T. I'm, I'm not consigning that idea. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> I, I believe vice and virtue should be separated always. Yes. I have my virtues and I got my vices. Right, keep them separate. Keep them separate. But I, I would like to, um, and, speaking, and speaking of the, um, just briefly, and speaking of the whole entrepreneurship thing, the therapist, I would love to hear her take on the whole psychology of, someone mentioned about how, uh, I think it was the attorney mentioned how in the integration, you know, we had all these black businesses and when it opened up, we, those were, the black businesses weren't good enough for us anymore. Right, could someone could she speak? I don't, I don't know. She's done a lot of this, but speak to the psychology of that and how. And I, I know I still suffer from it to this day, where um, I have to battle the default setting where um, I, for some reason, I may think something that's white is better than or. Um, right. and I struggle. That's how we've been taught. Right, mm -hmm. but but it's it's a psychological thing. Though. It's, it's the it's brainwash. Like, it's the mm -hmm. whitewash to make us believe yes. white is right, and we were and kept can, from it so long. Right, that you can only excel and exceed, and that it's a status if you're able to achieve what the white man has and get what he has. And you can afford what the white people can afford. You think you're doing better than your own people. So it's marketing. So, yeah, strictly marketing, strictly brainwash, condition to believe that. So Part you have of the racist system. So you have what you believe. And then you have what is actual fact that we can actually, you know, quantify. So, but it's, um, it's the, social conditioning is mm -hmm. yeah. a continuation of the social conditioning to believe mm -hmm. that they are better. White is right. White is better. Um, and so even though you can identify it, it's still like you have to actively practice going against it because it's consistently perpetuated in mm -hmm. everything so it's like you gotta constantly be woke and be like oh they trying to make me believe that it's not the case you know so it's not like you can let up you have right. to always question yourself why do i think that the black person walking ain't got no money but the white person is exercising Sizing. you know mm -hmm. like so it's consistent condition reconditioning our brain to question what we have normalized basically so if we do it to ourselves, you can imagine what exactly our, our, our Caucasian exactly. brothers do, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, it was it was really really interesting. I, I read I read a while back that um, to buy a property in a black neighborhood, you actually lose money, and and it kind of struck me because uh, for so many of us, you know, home ownership is the gateway to building wealth. But you know, the argument was that you'd be better off, like you know, say me and AJ and Vic we put our pool together and buy something in a white neighborhood and let that equity build up, sell it 
and break ourselves off and then buy something else in a white neighborhood than us each three getting something in a black neighborhood. Um, I don't know, I just read that article and it kind of, uh, it kind of struck me because it just shows you that our experience, as far as even, you know, if you look at every, every matrix in wealth building, we, we lag in so much. Um, I don't know. Like I said, if we think that, you can imagine what everyone else thinks. I'm not buying a house that someone black owned or, you know, I'm not going to live in a black neighborhood. Although gentrification yeah, I, has seemed to change a little bit. Oh, it's real. But I mean, when you say, when you say black neighborhood, black neighborhood is synonymous with like poverty to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Really, ghetto, yeah. yeah, right. And, and then the white neighborhood is synonymous with just, you know, suburban. a ritzy suburban area, right? Mm-hmm. That's where all the Starbucks are and what have you. So again, that, I, not a therapist. Uh, but that's that <laughs> social conditioning, right? Um, you know, and I, I'm in the middle of purchasing a, a home myself. Um, I personally was looking for a diverse neighborhood and town, you know? Um, I, I, I believe that that's, you know, um, because there are a lot more woke people out there nowadays. I think that that's what's going to end up, uh, you know, thriving, right? In terms of whether or not that's a good investment. Uh, maybe not now, but in the near future. Um, I just think it's interesting that, you know, we think black is poverty and white is, is rich. Um, but it's interesting, too, because I've never heard of a white person saying they, they're looking to move in a diverse, diverse neighborhood. So it kind of really is it's a continuation of the conditioning because it's ghetto right. and it's undervalued until they want it. And then when they want it. <laughs> <laughs> then it's hot shit then yeah. but as long as all of us are here it's a ghetto but once they start to slide you know they realize the value in the property then they by all means take it so it's just mm-hmm. interesting that you know it, it it's really not anything until they decide it's something and with such a, a large black population in atlanta i think with the largest concentration of black uh business owners and I think even the largest concentration of black millionaires or something in the United States. Thanks I would imagine Major Jackson. Yep. Thanks to Major Jackson. Okay. Yep. So, you know, I, I would imagine, I guess I just kind of daydream that there might likely be black neighborhoods in that city that are well. Oh, absolutely. No, they they absolutely are. They absolutely are. Um I it was it was really interesting because uh you know my dad had this really thick conversation about how I share with him, I never really heard anyone white brag about living in a black neighborhood. However, I've heard several black people, especially growing up in Michigan, mm-hmm. brag yep. about living in Farmington Hills or Bloomfield Hills as if mm-hmm. it was a status symbol. And I, I mean, I'm just, I would love to, and I guess, dig into the, the depths of our, our inferiority complex of um, for us to even say that, you know, and, and have that as a badge of honor that I'm the only black that lives in my neighborhood. I'm the only black that goes to this school. Um, I think it speaks to a lot of the condition um, that we right. have. Right, that's absolutely what it is. Yeah. Yep. Um, but no, to, to your point, um, the attorney in Charlotte, uh, yeah, Atlanta does ha- has, is a unique situation. We are experiencing a lot of gentrification. Where I live in the fourth ward was all black. Um, and now it's actually, you know, we're like the last black people on the block. Um, Time for you to move. Like, <laughs> there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's amazing. Um, before they moved here, we didn't have all the coffee shops and the restaurants that we have now. Um, before my white brothers moved here, we didn't have a lot of the, the police response. It's just incredible now. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. And I, um, I would love to see that same attention be in the black neighborhood. 
Um, I think we deserve it. I think we can support it. I think, AJ, you mentioned that our spending power is well over a trillion dollars. A trillion dollars. So, I mean, our money is green like everybody else's, right? So, um, you know, we, we could, if we had bookstores or coffee shops, we'd support them and um, nice restaurants where they don't charge mm-hmm. a tip off the rip. <laughs> you don't like that. Don't just, don't like just that. charge my tip automatically. You're just taking the tip. I'm going to tip 20, 25%. But since you don't take 15, that's all you're getting. <laughs> all right, so. Am I the only so, one that's experienced that? No, it's, no. it's, it's customary in New York. I don't know. I it's feel customary. like, I, yeah, I feel like that's a norm it's in, New in New York. You, yeah. Gratuities included. Yeah. No matter but, where you at. <laughs> but use, using this this whole movement that's going on right now for our culture to capitalize, what what areas do you think we could really, really hit the ground running in? Right, because to, to me, I think this would be a good time to start pumping up HBCUs again. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is a good time to, to, for yeah. us to start looking into that, you know, especially since, you know, what, when the, uh, COVID-19 hit, a lot of these colleges are not coming back at full tilt. Um, so I think this is a good time for us to promote the HBCUs again in our culture. Uh, I absolutely agree. I agree. I'm HBCU all the way, LU. But, you know, definitely. And it's, it, it's just you got to educate your children and let them know that they have other options. And again, it goes back to thinking the white is right and Ivy League is better and when it's not. You take advantage of, of what you have for you and... Is just as good. I'm going to ask a dumb question here, uh, so forgive <laughs> yes. me. But so these HBCUs, right? They, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, they offer certain things to minorities in the black community, right? And so, um, you know, no, it's just well, okay. It's so, historically so what black I, universities and colleges. Um, okay, and so, so, so the history whatever, whatever, on that is when we weren't allowed to go to the white schools or white universities, we had to come up with our own colleges and our own schools. So right. okay. that's so why. From, but, but from a, an education perspective, like is there an added benefit? What's the, what's the benefit of, of, of these universities? And the point I'm trying to get at is I support it. Absolutely. My son is, you know, he's black. Um, and and I, I'm a Puerto Rican man, so I, I definitely support it. But I'm thinking more in, li- in, in line of, like whatever it is that makes us want that to be at the forefront of, you know, minority education, like why can't we instill that fucking everywhere else, right? So whatever it is at, you know, uh, I don't know, I don't know what's a, what's a, Grambling, is that a, that's a historically black? Grambling. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Grambling, whatever it is that makes, makes them special, why can't we instill that at your Harvards, at your your University of Connecticut is just across the board here. Why, why do we... Why well, do that's we probably the problem. That's part of the what needs to be reformed and fixed, right? You right, want to exactly. have that and field wherever you go. You shouldn't have right, to so, just be limited to a HBCU to be taught your history and feel comfortable around your people. Um, and right, I think okay. that's mainly what it is. Um, right. Okay. I, yeah, no, I, I think. I think that there's a love for a level of comfort and support that you get from the representation of being at an HBCU, you know, not yeah, that's what having I said. to be the only, but like, and so you can't take it to someplace else because it turns into something different. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be all encompassed 
with black people. But not you know, my, my thing is with one or two. So I think that's the difference. The difference is sometimes we want a safe space and they create mm. safe spaces. My, right. Yeah, to that and point, I, yes. and I get that. But but does that not expose us then to like because when you graduate from this university and, and you were comfortable there, but now you're going out into the real world and say corporate America where I'm from, it's all it's all white. Okay. And, you know, that's not necessarily, it's not frowned upon, but you know, they don't, they don't give, they don't give too much shits about the fact that you graduated from a, for the most part, I'm generalizing, mm -hmm. but they don't care. Mm -hmm. They don't care all that much about that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so are we not just mm -hmm. perpetuating like this disadvantage then? Cause like, I just feel like if we're going to, mm. if we're going to no. isolate ourselves over here, right. And, but, and we're going to come out into the real world and we have to compete over here and, you know, we know who the man is right now. Can I come I can see that. Yeah, I'm asking, right? I'm not I don't have an opinion. I'm 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 hoping to be educated here. Karen, go ahead and give your two cents. Uh, having, you know, been to an HBCU for all of my education except kindergarten to eighth grade, I think I was able to be exposed to both worlds and, and one thing that I that was made plain to me is that when you are being educated, particularly in an area of higher education like a, in college and then in graduate school, you need to ensure that, as Yasmin said, that this is a safe place for me to be appreciated for my success and my ability to excel, to be assumed, uh, versus having to deal with microaggressions, having to deal with, um, you know, the, the belief that I didn't earn my way to even be in this seat in this class before this professor and a lot of the other subtle things that a person has to deal with when they're at a majority school. We deal, we live in the real world every single day. So that's like saying that I would need to live in the home of a white person or live in the home of someone other than black people in order to understand how to work with them, understand how to talk to them, understand how to interact with them. If I'm in college, I'm right in high school. Can I hit the horn right there? It's true. I had I yeah. had classmates. I had friends that I went to high school with, and many of them went on to majority colleges. They couldn't wait to get there. I was a product of, of parents who went to HBCUs, grandparents who went to HBCUs. For me, it was nothing pressured upon me. It was just what I always knew I wanted. And mm. many of them were uh, discouraged. Once they got to these majority schools, they, they, they went in with really strong, really challenging majors, came out with a different major than what they went in with um, when it was time for tutoring sessions or when it was time for extra help to be given. Magically, they were left off of the email list to get the extra help or the open door policy for their professor wasn't as warm and wasn't as welcome as it was for my professors. You know, I genuinely mm. felt that I wasn't a number, but my professors cared about my progress. They cared about my performance. They cared about me being there. And the place, the, the brick in the mortar of Hampton University, I felt like was, was established for me. I felt like that building, that place was built, waiting, ready for me to come mm. and for me to continue on this great legacy of that institution. But 
if had I gone to Carolina or had I gone to Duke or had I gone to, you know, some other noteworthy school with this belief, this false belief that it was going to open some wide doors for me and get me a job right after graduation. Um, you know, maybe my story would have still been the same, but I just don't believe it would have. I was 17 going to college. I was still, you know, my confidence is still growing. You know, my, mm -hmm. my self-awareness is still being shaped. And if someone had tried to tell me that, you know, that maybe this place just wasn't the best for me, or maybe I really didn't have what it took to be a, an attorney or just tried to convince me otherwise of my dreams, I might've believed it. And being at an HBCU at that time in my life helped to ensure that my self-image and my self-awareness was the most strong that it could be, that I could go into now, now go into corporate America mm -hmm. and not be questioned, not <clears throat> feel any kind of internal conflict that I have what it takes, yeah. that I deserve this role, that I have, that I deserve this position. That's what HBCU gave me. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I, uh, I, I, what I'm, what I'm thinking is I just think it's horseshit that we have to go to a subset of unit of schools to feel all of that stuff for the most part. Um, and I, and it's aspirational, but I, I just like to, and especially now that we're in the middle of this movement, I just like to see that everywhere. Right. Well, they have a purpose because if you look statistically, they still graduate the most black engineers of any other schools. They graduate the most doctors of any other schools. Uh, the most attorneys, black attorneys of any other school. Um, so, you know, maybe it still boils down to this a systemic issue. Right. But nevertheless, they are helping to, they're, they're, they're serving a strong purpose for our society because the majority of the black professionals that you see, just current day, present day, are products of, of HBCU. So they mm -hmm. seem to be offering a little bit more than these majority institutions. I, I, I second everything I think, Karen said. <laughs> no, Shut up, that pretty much makes <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much makes the argument for their existence, right? I mean, if, yeah. um, if education is going to be the key to the to upper mobility and you're looking at HBCUs as having, providing the funnel to corporate America for, for most of your black professionals, then it clearly means that um, they clearly serve a purpose and, and, and have a necessity. Uh, we really need to support them more now than ever, ever, which I would love to see more of our alumni, um, you know, conserve more money. I think, I think we have a tremendous deficit in, in, in what we give back to our schools, um, mm -hmm. just opposed to like a lot of the PWI schools. Um, but we still have to fight that stigma, right? So um, if we think that I, white ice is colder, obviously, um, the, our white brothers and sisters think that, you know, a degree from, you know, University of Michigan carries more value than one from Morehouse, right? So um, you still have a lot of, you still have an upward fight there. Um, but from what I gather, and if the statistics bear out, um, you know, students that graduate from HBCUs are performing on par to level of people graduating from PWIs. I think um, what you do, you may miss out on is that network. I mean, uh, the network of a University of Michigan, the network of a Duke or, um, gosh, the network of a Cornell or Harvard, you know, you know, Morehouse, Hampton, fam, they really can't compete with that. But that's if you make it out. But the, the, that's if you make it out. There the, you go. the emotional capacity you have to have to withstand that, especially being first generation, a lot of people are coming from poverty, you know, to withstand being at a University of Michigan or a Michigan State or a Harvard 
is very, very difficult. And I think that's why most people can't do it because emotionally they're not prepared to handle it. The microaggressions, the racism, you know, mm. all of those things take a toll on, you You know, how much you can withstand, especially at a very vulnerable age, age, like 18 or 19. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why they have, you know, you have the fraternities, you have other groups um, at Cornell and these other places that actually uh, act as a refuge for um, students of color, Latin, Black, Asian, you name it, because of those microaggressions, right? Um, I don't know. If you if you had a child, um, if you a child that got accepted to uh, Cornell, Harvard, like I got a good friend of mine, his son is uh, going to play basketball at Cornell next year, I think. And, um, you know, would you encourage him to go? Or would you say go to, uh, go to Morehouse? It depends on my son's capacity. I have a nine-year-old and I have made sure that he goes to school with black people to, I feel like emotionally he's secure enough to withstand the microaggression. So it, to me, it, it, it would depend on my child and their emotional capacity. If I believe they're strong enough to handle it, or if I think they need that extra support and safety of a HBCU. Mm. Well, fortunately for me, I've got number girls, three girls, and I told them they go to Spelman or they can go to uh, um, Harvard. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, so that's that's incredible, man. We're we're pushing on two hours. I know you guys are busy, but I definitely just talking. Yeah, I I guess want to thank you guys for for coming on the show today. You guys are amazing, dope, and all that. And before we even get out of here, I want you guys to at least share where we can find you or where our lifers can find you and and follow up with what you're doing. Karen, you want to start it off? Um. Well, I'm not. I'm not in practice any longer. Got out of that hustle and bustle once you know, mommy Uh and life took over. Um, okay. But I am on, um, I'm not really as active on social media as before, but I am on Facebook. I am on uh, Instagram, Darlington Phelps on Instagram, if they wanted to go okay. check me out there. There we go. Yes. Um, well, I am on Facebook and Instagram. Those are my personal um, accounts. My handle on Instagram is Yazzie Love, and my personal website is yasmintony.com. What about your MySpace page? Uh, I think that's deleted. I think it's deleted. So if you see it, past life. That was a past life. John, 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 where can we find you at, brother? Hey, man, I'm uh, still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. But you can, uh, you can find me on social media until I get the blog up and going on the YouTube channel. It's uh, Mauston Found, where yeah, four ends of the day in the life of a, a militant dad who um. Uh, just uh, a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed speaking with you guys. Thanks definitely, a lot. Definitely. Yeah, this was like great episode. So much fun. Thank you guys for coming on. Yes, and we for look the forward to having all of you on at one point, at some point in time, together again, or even individually. But this was great. I thank you guys again. Thank you, yeah, man. This is fantastic. I love being a lifer. I hope you peep my overtime uh, shirt. There we yes. go, right there. Black like business, that. baby. Black business. There we go. All right, see you next time.